This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're talking today with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. He is the Director of Undergraduate Studies at McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, he also holds a concurrent teaching appointment in the Department of Theology there. We've had Dr. DeLorenzo on the show multiple times. You can find it by going to our archives, going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking the little three bars in the top left-hand corner of the page. It'll pop out a menu. Scroll down until you find his name, and there's lots of great content here, and he just keeps coming out with more. The book we're going to talk about today is called Turn to the Lord, Forming Disciples for Lifelong Conversion, available on Liturgical Press. And the book provides a guide and a framework for approaching sacramental prep in a new way. Now, I have two kids going through sacramental prep right now, one for uh, First Communion and another for Confirmation. And you, you often hear the stories about it being, you know, too formalized or too much like a school education, which sends a different kind of message, different kind of communication. Uh, there's always the, the frustration of how do you pass on the fullness of faith in that brief amount of time um, without turning it into a hoop you have to jump through. So for instance, you got to go do your, your service hour project. You've got to do all of these things as if it's some kind of um, special program that you would go through in school rather than preparing you to receive the fullness of initiation into the Catholic Church. It's frustrating, but it's also frustrating from the parish side as you're trying to figure out how do we ensure that the people who are approaching the sacrament understand the fullness of this life that they're getting themselves into. And so Dr. DeLorenzo has some ideas about how we as Christian community can help form those who are approaching the sacraments. Dr. DeLorenzo, thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me back. It's always good to be with you. So, first of all, um, I know where the pain comes from on my side as a, as a parent and then <laughs> formerly as a, a DRE. Uh, I know where the struggles come from. What first drew you to this topic to want to think about it, wrestle with it, and then write about it? Well, I came to it because I, like you, I'm a parent, and my eldest child was coming up to his confirmation preparation year. Uh, he was not enrolled in a Catholic school that would provide the preparation, so I got a letter from my parish uh, inviting us to uh, obviously sign up for the parish catechetical program to help him prepare for confirmation. And my first response, which was not audible, but somewhere deep in the recesses of my heart was, oh no, not in terms of, I don't want him to prepare for confirmation or I don't want to be, you know, involved in something in the parish, but really the feeling of, oh, one more thing to do, mm -hmm. right? And that actually kind of caught me in a way. Like I, I was startled with myself by that because if I feel that way about this sort of thing and I'm <laughs> you know, sort of professionally invested in faith formation and theological education. It was sort of a signal that, you know, maybe other people feel this way too. So that's really how I came to this. And I think what I noticed in that reaction was that I actually need to step forward a little bit more. And um, rather than think of this as one more thing to do, one more drop off, 
I started to think about, well, how can we maybe do this differently? So I actually am more invested. Uh, so he doesn't feel like it's just one more thing to do, preparing for a sacrament of inconvenience, which is what it sometimes feels like, I think, when you have to, you know, as a, as a young person, just go to classes. And that's really the genesis of thinking of what I came to call a Catholic formation group, which would be really the environment for the sacramental preparation for confirmation. I'm intrigued by this idea. And I think that there are some programs out there that try to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but whenever you get into that, that dreaded word program, yeah. there is a one size fits all. Okay. We're going to create this environment that you're going to put your kids through and they're going to come out the other end of this, uh, this assembly line all put together <laughs> and ready for the sacrament. But yeah. from the parish side of things, having worked there, mm-hmm. there is a sense of, I have to have some kind of standardization so that, because I'm just one person and yep. how do I uh, adopt something that's going to give everyone what they need in a, in a profound way when everyone is so very different and what you're proposing is less of a program and more of a framework. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about what it was that you came to. You're quite right to, to note that this isn't so much of a program. In fact, I didn't want to have a program that I adopted myself when uh, stepping forward to try and lead this group for preparation for confirmation. And I wouldn't want to propose yet just another program to pass on or some kind of third party resource that you just press play on and that does it for you. Mm -hmm. The key here was to try to bring forward, especially parents and other mentors to work within the within the parish. Um, in partnership with the parish or the school, to be the primary leaders of what I've already named as a Catholic formation group. So the real key here is to increase the investment of especially the more mature disciples so that those who are being prepared for the sacrament are accompanied by those who have been living the Catholic life a little bit longer, but they're all together studying the Catholic faith together, praying together, practicing developing a biblical uh, biblical literacy and a biblical imagination um, invested in trying on the practices of the catholic life more fully together so really the framework as you rightly noted or rightly called it the framework is to build on certain core habits or practices that are part of a catholic life part of a catholic life um, and to create the kind of environment, whether it's in a home or in a parish or in a school, where this kind of life is more integrated, where it feels more natural and more normal, and that those practices which are rehearsed are actually what hopefully stay with, especially the young people or those who are coming into the fullness of the Catholic faith, it stays with them beyond what the period of time of preparation is. So that's the approach. And um, what I wanted to do then, so the, the rather than sitting down and let me just write a book on this, the first thing I did was I actually did this. So I did this with my eldest son and his group that was preparing for confirmation. This was several years ago. I was the primary leader. I brought in uh, a number of the other parents, actually all of the other parents of the kids who were undergoing formation. We led and developed this Catholic formation group, but I was working with my parish and my diocese, and I promised to pass everything on that I was doing. 
And I had a whole bunch of Google Docs and I said, that's not the way to pass something on. <laughs> so that's where the book came from was writing out what I had done. So there's a, a guide for leaders in the second part of the book. And the first part of the book is actually writing directly to the leaders, kind of a presentation. You could say a presentation of the content, but more it is a re-engagement uh, of the reader, in this case, the leaders, the parents, the mentors, the catechists, in this coherent presentation of the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. The new book is called Turn to the Lord, Forming Disciples for Lifelong Conversion. It's available on Liturgical Press. The goal of confirmation, mm-hmm. as we prepare our, our students, our children for confirmation, is that they receive the fullness of the sacrament and enter into initiation with uh, with the whole church, become a full member uh, to be able to participate fully in all of the, ch- the work of the church. Uh, what we see professionally uh, in the church is that sacrament, the sacrament of confirmation, is viewed as... I'm done with sacramental prep now. I'm done with all of my religious education. I have graduated and no longer have to be engaged in religious things. So there's obviously a a huge disconnect between the intent and the outcome for how we run our sacramental prep. And there's some fantastic research out there, uh, some of it from Christian Smith there at the University of Notre Dame, some of it uh, spread out among other folks about how our young people engage with the faith across the board. And one of the the delineators for whether a a young person continues with their faith for a long period of time throughout their life is whether their parents are involved in the faith, one. Uh, Two, whether they had connection to one or two other faith-filled people within the community uh, that actually cared about them. Uh, And I, I feel like somewhere along the lines the idea of sacramental prep switched to lecture or academic format. Uh, and, and now we're at the point where we look and say, well, we've always done it this way, even though that's not really the fullness of, of our history, but somehow we've grabbed a hold of this and hold on to it with all our might when it's just not working as we see the rise of the those who claim no religion whatsoever, uh, the nuns, mm-hmm. as they're called. Um, so diagnose this a little bit with me. How do we get to a place where we view the idea of a, a parent being the primary educator, meaning that they are the primary lecturer or the primary uh, you know, academic content provider for their children? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how do we get to that place where we think that the preparation for the sacrament is an intellectual exercise. Yeah. So I take what I took for developing this was the blueprint, you could say, which is not a great word, but I'll just call it the blueprint is laid out uh, by the earliest Christian communities. And we hear about this in beginning in the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. They did four things that mark their life. In fact, those earliest Christians, as you would know, were just, they weren't known as Christians. It wasn't known as Christianity. It was just known as the way. So these are the four marks of the way they studied the teaching of the apostles. So there was a, there was a study component to it, something intellectual. They were receiving what was being passed on. They studied the teaching of the apostles. They broke bread together. They shared in the Eucharistic fellowship. They shared all things in common. In other words, they took the needs of others as their own needs and they uh, practiced the works of mercy. And third, they prayed together. So they observe the regular periods of prayers. Those 
of course, come in to be the four pillars of the catechism as well. Right. The study of the creed, the profession of faith, the sacraments, life in Christ, and prayer. So if that is what the earliest Christians did, and it says at the end of that passage that every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. If this is what they did, the fruits of that is that they they became a source of renewal for others. Others were attracted to that life. Others found the life of God by not just observing what these Christians did, but actually coming to participate in their way of life. And I think that is the way to think about confirmation. We're being sealed by the mission of the Holy Spirit so that we ourselves become responsible, personally responsible for the mission of the church, for the gospel. But that means that our way of life and our practices have to be conformed to the way of Christ. And these four marks, I think, are the way to do it. So how do we get away, as you were asking, from the strictly lectured-based approach or just passing things on, and now that you've heard these things and maybe you can uh, regurgitate them, now we can seal you with the Holy Spirit. How do we get away from that? Well, I think we have to practice entering into that way of life. And that's what this approach to uh, sacramental preparation really uh, focuses on. But to your other point, it makes a difference. It makes sometimes all the difference if parents are involved, if other adults are involved, if people who can serve as mentors are involved. It didn't. It doesn't say in the Acts of the Apostles, just the newer Christians did these things. It says they all did it. And to be honest, I think those of us who are more mature adult Christians who have maybe been fully initiated for years and years or decades, we could use the renewal to re- commit to those ways, those practices of the Christian life. So the key here is to study the teachings of the apostles, that is to say, scripture and the tradition together. It is to uh, break bread, to practice and receive the sacraments and prepare for the sacramental life together. It means to exercise the works of mercy together, and it certainly means to pray together. So I think by setting up that foundation and having the period, the time of preparation in that way, it already introduces and rehearses the younger Christians in that way that should and ought to sustain them for the long haul. You cannot force anyone to take take up their responsibility for the gospel. All we can do is prepare them as best we can so they know that's their responsibility, so they're equipped to, re- to respond to that responsibility and then guide them into actually taking that responsibility themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I hesitated to ask this question, but I'm going to go ahead and do it because it's going to be something that someone's going to run up against. Perfect. Uh, we, because of the days and the times in which we live, uh, mm-hmm. the, the church is very uh, protective of the vulnerable, uh, and and we have to be. Uh, and so, as I hear you talking about meeting in the church or meeting in homes or meeting somewhere else, my first thought goes to. How does this work with the uh, with the Dallas Charter and with safe environment principles? Mm-hmm. That that as a I know that as a DRE back in the day, if someone said, "Hey, I want to hold a small group of young people in my home," I would be, mm-hmm. mm, you know, let's let's do that at the church or let's not call it a church function. So, yep. how do we um, work within the confines that the diocese uh, has to work under and yep. still provide an environment that feels like home? 
So I would say that meeting in a home is not absolutely essential for this approach. I do think it's ideal. But to your point about the Dallas Charter and providing safe environment and making sure that we've thought ahead to what needs to be thought ahead to, and we've taken, you know, not just the right precautions, but created the right environment. Um, this does in some ways change from diocese to diocese and from parish to parish. I've talked to a number of diocesan leaders. In fact, I was in, in a meeting with five diocesan leaders talking about this approach. And of those five dioceses, each one had a slightly different arrangement. And we're asking this question that you're asking in different ways. For some, it would, they could see how they could make this work at home. For others, it was like, well, we'd have to think about this and that. And what do you say about this? So that is to say, totally get the question and point taken. <laughs> For Let's just let's take this in the most kind of, um, you know, I don't want to say legalistic way, but just making sure that we have our T's crossed and our I's dotted. Everybody who's who's leading a group of young people must have uh, completed the safe environment training. Mm -hmm. This is not a sort of offshoot ma maverick ministry program. It's in association with the parish. And so the pastor, the DRE, that this is under their um, purview and they have to be on board with it and they have to say this can go forward. So it's not something that's just done off to the side. We're going to recreate some kind of separate church thing. No, it's part of the parish life and it's the way in which the parish provides this preparation for the people who are seeking uh, the sacrifice fullness of the sacraments of initiation. If it doesn't work for a particular parish or a diocese that they can meet in a home, it doesn't have to meet in a home. I have found this to be the ideal setting because there is a way in which the home allows for integration in a way that when you're in even a very good parish space, a parish hall, doesn't quite allow that. So for this group that we gather, and I'm doing this right now also with my second uh, oldest child. I did it several years ago, I'm doing it again now. We meet at 11.30 on Sunday. Um, we start with uh, first prayer and then a period of prayer journaling that's built in about 10 minutes. We come back together. We have uh, a light lunch, a meal together. Usually the boys eat together and the girls eat together. It's a And then there are some mentors, uh, teenager, older teenagers who are part of those two who lead the discussions. So they have time for good conversation and discussion over a meal. Moving into that kind of space where you're having a meal together, it makes sense in a home, like a home's kind of built for that. Uh -huh. But then we come back together and we study what we're studying for that day from scripture, often from the catechism. Um, and moving from one kind of activity or type of engagement to another, from prayer to journaling to eating together, to studying something together, and then just to mingling, like social time together. All of that is very natural within a home setting. You know how to do that. Can you do that in a parish hall? You can. It, it, you could certainly make that happen. I think you have to think ahead to what that environment is going to be like and how to set it up so it doesn't just feel like you're walking into a classroom because that's going to stifle that kind of feeling of integration. But you can set an environment elsewhere that would do that also. Yeah, I'm just, I just I picture, oh, well, you know, we're going to do this in the parish hall. Let's set up the six-foot tables and put the chairs around <laughs> it. And, right. you know, the, the whole idea of uh, familiarity and comfortability just kind of flies out the window as you see those sure. lifetime plastic tables set up. Yes. Which I actually have one of those at my home that oh, I do keep you? in the storage <laughs> area, but, and I have to use it at times for this, but 
the setting is different. It feels yeah. different than uh, than what it might feel like elsewhere. Well, and you would think this would be intuitive for us because we, as Catholics, maybe more so than than other Christian traditions, uh, we view space as important. Uh, and space yeah. is set aside and consecrated for things, and space itself communicates uh, w- about the action that's taking place. And so it would make mm-hmm. sense that we would think, hey, if we're going to be doing preparation for inclusion in the family of God for a full initiation, we ought to do this in a place that isn't just a classroom. That's well put. Yeah, and we also, we host our group at our home, my own home. It wouldn't have to be at the same home every time necessarily. It could move around. But nevertheless, like we're having the whole families over. So the parents come too. Um, and there is a way in which we can host them. Like, you know how to do hospitality in a home. We take turns, you know, it's on a rotating cycle who provides the lunch. Um, so they bring, you know, oftentimes it's other families are bringing the lunch to provide for everybody. But um, to the point of having a place where you can exercise hospitality, where, you know, people know how to kind of like mingle, even in the off times, like it doesn't feel like you're in a, some kind of hall that's set up for a certain purpose. You're in a home it does make a difference and it does feel uh, more comfortable and natural for this, this kind of thing. We're talking today with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo from the McGrath Institute for Church Life about this new framework for sacramental prep. Uh, you can find out more information over at leonardjdelorenzo.com. The book is called Turn to the Lord. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the law of diminishing returns. Um, <clears throat> You're talking about having this whole group in your in your house and you're hosting them and there's conversation going on. There is kind of a sweet spot, though, for for group size. And you get into some of these parishes that there aren't dealing with eight or 15 or 16 uh, confirmandi. They're dealing with uh, 60 or 70. And so what is the uh, obviously there's ways that you can scale. But what way do you have put forward uh, in your experience, for that kind of a situation for a larger parish? Yes, if you have 60 or 70, I would say rather than have one group or two groups, you have five groups. Mm-hmm. And part of the key of what we're doing here is we're trying to build up other leaders, especially among parents who are both competent to lead a Catholic uh, formation group and confident in doing so. Because I think these are the two areas where we as parents really feel our insufficiency. One, we don't think we know enough or we know how to form other people. So we do have to provide something to help uh, parents and other volunteers, mentors to become competent to do that. But then there's the whole other issue of actually believing that you're competent when you are. So to build up the confidence to do that. By doing that and not saying, here, DRE, you now have uh, the 70 people and you have to do this on your own or with the two volunteers who happen to come forward. This whole approach is about flipping this and actually giving people more to do, but guiding them in the right way to do it. We want to draw forward the parents as leaders. And that's going to make all that makes a huge difference, I think, when it doesn't allow for the just drop off and pick up. You got to be up front and tell the parents, like, we're doing something else and we need something more for you, but this is an investment worth making. And then we're going to help you do it. Um, so to, in response to your question, I think if you've got 60 or 70, you need five groups. Mm-hmm. You can't do that as one or two groups. I have in the group that I'm leading currently, we have 11 young people, but that also includes their families, yeah. therefore, too. And 
it really couldn't be much, but we could probably get up to 15. But when we gather together to study, all of the young people have to be at the same table. Like it's a, uh, it's a conversation and it's a guided study of scripture and the tradition. The parents are in the same room with us. They're studying along with us. Now we can't get all 30 people at the same table, but to have at least the core members, those young people who are uh, engaging the preparation together at one table, that makes a big difference. So I think group size is really key for this. And I think 15 is probably about right in terms of the upper limit of how big this group can get. And I know for a DRE who's hearing that and it's got 80 or 100 <laughs> people, they're like, well, where am I going to get all those volunteers? Yeah. The, the whole approach here is to turn the parents into what we say they are all the time in the church, the primary educators. Let's guide them and equip them to do that and create the right kind of framework for them to be able to uh, be successful in that. And so here, uh, what I'm hearing and what I love is the deprofessionalization of ministry uh, because these parents presumably are confirmed and as part of that gift of confirmation, they've been given uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the the strength to go out and share the gospel. And, and that's what they're doing here with their own children. But we've so segmented out, oh, well, the priest does this and maybe the deacon does that. And then we hire the DRE to take care of the rest uh, that we we have neglected to do, as you mentioned earlier, the having the mature Christians do study and the works of mercy and all of this together communally, not just in my own life or my own uh, calendar, but with the community of faith. And I feel that so often we have um, we have mass and we have coffee and donut hour, and then we are out of there. Uh, no, what we're talking about here is co-responsibility for the mission of the church. And when we say co-responsibility, to your point, it, it is in some ways about the deprofessionalization of these forms of evangelization and catechesis, which does not at all sideline the professional ministers. Right. It means that, right, and, I, and the professional ministers here, part of their primary charge is to equip and empower the lay faithful to take the responsibility that is properly theirs by virtue of their baptism, and in this case, by their confirmation, to become a source of goodness for others. So that's the little revolution, maybe, that's going on in the middle of this. We taught, we can talk in very broad ways about co-responsibility for the mission of the church, which we have, in fact, hosted a major conference in our yes. own institute on that. This is when it comes down to the very grassroots level, the life of a parish, the some of the primary ministries and functions, sacramental preparation, here's what co-responsibility looks like. This is how we can empower and engage the lay faithful to take the responsibility that we say we all ought to have. The book is called Turn to the Lord, Forming Disciples for Lifelong Conversion, available on Liturgical Press or wherever you get your Catholic books. Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo is the Director of Undergraduate Studies at the McGrath Institute for Church Life, where he serves as the Director for Notre Dame Vision and holds a concurrent teaching appointment with the Department of Theology. Find out more about his work by going to leonardjdelorenzo.com. There you can also sign up for his mailing list, which we'll talk more about right after this break. Don't go anywhere. Uh, come and be a part of the ongoing conversation over at social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. I would love to hear from you. What is 
something that you have found meaningful if you've been involved in a small group uh, that has helped you grow in your faith. Let's talk about small groups today in all contexts. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about this small group model for sacramental prep. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo, who is the Director of Undergraduate Studies at the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame, where he also serves as the Academic Director for Notre Dame Vision and teaches at the Theology Department. You can find out more about his work over at leonardjdelorenzo.com. One of my favorite things that you'll find there is a weekly email uh, called Life, Sweetness, and Hope. Now, I don't subscribe to very many email lists, and even the ones that I do subscribe to, I don't read every time, at least not immediately. But I tell you, I always look forward to these brief, short emails that highlight three little things having to do with life and sweetness and hope. And I think that we could all use a little bit more of that in our lives. You can sign up for that email list there at leonardjdelorenzo.com. Dr. Delorenzo, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, and thanks for the kind words about that email. So the uh, the book that we're talking about today is mm-hmm. Turn to the Lord, and it is a framework for uh, for sacramental preparation, specifically in this case for the sacrament of confirmation. Um, one of the things that I as a convert am keenly aware of is that everyone who comes into the church is confirmed, and they're not all teens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have folks that come into the church who have already been baptized. They, they grew up uh, in a different tradition. They were baptized. It was a valid baptism because it was done in the proper formula uh, <laughs> with proper intent. And, um, and so the church recognizes that, but then asks them to be confirmed. And oftentimes, we see uh, parishes not know really what to do with adult confirmation, uh, whether that's someone maybe who was baptized in the Catholic Church and then uh, as a child left and then now they're returning, or whether it's someone like my situation who had never been Catholic but then was approaching the church. And so very often we say, oh, well, we have a process to enter the church. It's called RCIA. But if you read the right, the RCIA is primarily intended, it is intended for those who have never even been baptized. And that's Mm. really the intention of the Easter Vigil as well. Um, And so I had a a wonderful priest who recognized the difficulty that it would present to our family and our situation at the time to go through RCIA because I was working at a neighboring uh, Protestant church. And and there were members of his church who were very close friends with... uh, choir members of mine. We're trying to figure out how do we, how do we approach the church and not get outed and doxed, right? Uh, doxology, but not doxed. Uh, so uh, he, was, he was very kind, and he did private instruction for my wife. Um, the kids played in the nursery, and the, the priest and my wife had a conversation about the faith. Um, and so there is within the priest's purview, the ability to do something other than RCIA for these situations. Uh, and 
I'm looking at this framework that you've put together and you put together mm-hmm. primarily for teens. Well, in, as you were doing it, you created it for your teens, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like something that necessarily has to be for teenagers. So what kind yeah. of appetite do you think is out there to have, in addition to the RCIA, uh, to have also this separate preparation for adult confirmation? Yeah, I think, you know, for a lot of people who would pick this up, they might even ask the question the other way, like, oh, is this the way to do it for teenagers? Is this going to work? And I will say, <laughs> yes, it will, because for the teenagers, we're actually leading them into a more adult approach to their faith, and we're taking them seriously. We're challenging them. I've heard this from my children, from my the friends of my children, like everything else in school gets harder and more sophisticated oftentimes accept their religion classes and the textbooks that are there. So this is actually a way of bringing them towards a more adult engagement. So with that in mind, I think that it actually fits very, very well for adults who are coming into the church who don't need a teen approach to learning about the Catholic faith. They need an adult approach to doing that. So the way in which at least the progression, you could say of the, there's content here, right? Like the progression of the content It's biblical and it's narrative. So it starts, for example, with the uh, conversion, not just the conversion of St. Paul, but the way in which St. Paul himself becomes a source of goodness, his lifelong transformation. And that happens over the course of about five different meetings and five different lessons. You're reading scripture together slowly, actually, and coming to recognize what you haven't recognized before and talking about this together. And from there, everything about St. Paul leads you to the person of Christ. He hands on to us, as he says, as of first importance, this, and it's the primary proclamation of who Christ is. So the next four lessons, for example, are in response to the question, who is Jesus? And again, it's a biblical, deeply biblical approach to follow through building up the knowledge of scripture, who really is this person of Jesus? But along with that, this question of who is Jesus, there's also the second question of who is Jesus for me? And therefore, there's the integration between our study of the person of Jesus and coming to know him by the proclamation of the church and the proclamation of who Jesus is through our own words and in our own life. And I think for teens, that is a, all of that's a step, right? Like you're having to step up for adults. That is still a step. That's a hard thing to do. And in fact, TL, when we come to these, to that, that portion where we're asking the personal question alongside the primary gospel question of who is Jesus. When you have to ask the personal question, who is Jesus for me? We actually take uh, time to offer small testimonies in response to that question. And the first ones that do it, when we have the group, say, of teenagers that's preparing for confirmation, the first people that do that are the parents. Mm -hmm. Two people for each meeting give short testimonies, three minutes or so, of who Jesus is for them. And it's always tied to a life story, oftentimes to a struggle in their life. Um, They're all spoken in honesty. And then later, the teens do it several weeks later after they've seen their parents do it. So for adults, you know, who are coming into the faith and are being confirmed, who should do it first? Well, probably their mentors, their sponsors should give a give a witness to what this looks like. And then those who are coming in to the fullness of the Catholic faith, they do it themselves. So in response to your question, I think that this there is challenge written all throughout this, and that's part of the point. If you want people to take something seriously, you ought to challenge them with it. Mm-hmm. But it's challenge in such a way that you equip as you challenge and build them up to be able to do it. 
In her first book, uh, Forming Intentional Disciples, Sherry Waddell of the Catherine of Siena Institute talks about the impetus for that book, that she was doing called and gifted workshops, teaching people about their charisms, uh, which, of course, confirmation provides to us our charism. Uh, and she, she mentioned that what really spurred this was talking with someone who was active in ministry, a leader in their church, and saying, really having a hard time getting to the core of what their charism was. And she asked them this question, who is Jesus to you? And the person could not answer. They did not have a relationship outside of the activity that they had done, where they had come into an encounter with the person of Jesus. And so I, I love that this is central to what you're doing, because I, I feel that so often we, uh, in the term that gets thrown around is we sacramentalize without evangelizing. Uh, and so, so many people come into being initiated, receiving the sacraments to the extent that they're disposed to them, but not having the, the ability to engage with Christ outside of that, oh, well, these are the actions that you do in the church. I think we have to work on becoming receptive and responsive to the life of the spirit. So the spirit, we know this intellectually, right? Like we know the spirit doesn't just come upon us and take us over. The point is the spirit is given to us. God gives us his life, but it's not so that we lose our agency. In fact, we're supposed to become more alive in responding to the life given to us. And we actually, I think, have to practice doing that. So as, as another example here within this framework, I think we can talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as that the way in which God communicates life to us in these certain ways. Mm -hmm. But then we ought to match that with our practice and growth in virtue. Virtue is our response, part of our response to the gifts of God's life that are given to us. So for example, the virtue of, we could say chastity, the virtue of chastity of the ears, of the eyes, of our speech, taking care with who or how we listen and what we listen for, what we look at and how we see, what we say and how we speak, all of that stuff, we can try and give lessons on this is what you ought to do, but there should also be workshops and practices in listening well, in seeing correctly, and in speaking responsibly. So I took that to heart when I was trying to build this, that when we get to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, eventually, after we do a study of the um, teaching of creation and the dignity of the human person, then once we get to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we follow that up with workshops on developing uh, these virtues of listening, seeing, and speaking well, what I call chastity of the ears, chastity of the eyes, and chastity of the tongue. Um, and that's the way in which the gift of God's life really takes root in us because we are working with and in response to God rather than certainly not being resistant or just trying to be passive. So I'm listening to this, and this sounds fantastic. And of course, I've already been confirmed, but I kind of want to go through it as well. Well, come on over. Come on over. <laughs> All are welcome. Yeah. Is this something that is just primarily for the confirmandy? Or is this something that maybe I want to grab a few friends and say, hey, let's go through this together? Are we still going to find spiritual benefit from the book, um, even though we're not preparing for that sacrament? Well, the guidance, the leadership guidance that I've sought to provide through the book is for primarily for those who are leading 
groups who are preparing for uh, sacramental initiation, right? So for the teenagers preparing for confirmation, for adults going through R RCIA, or for adults going through confirmation. But the first part of this book, so that's the second part, is the leadership guidance. Mm -hmm. The first part of the book is the presentation of all of this stuff, this presentation of a coherent account of the beauty of the Catholic faith in a narrative, biblical, and doctrinal way. And I'm so grateful to my publisher here, Lit, um, Lit Press, who recognized that that first part, the first part of the book, would also be of benefit to people who weren't necessarily engaging in sacramental preparation. And so they were willing, publishers never do this, they were willing to create a second book out of this that's just part one of the two-part leader guide. So that one-part book is still called Turn to the Lord. It has a different subtitle. Um, which I can't remember at the moment. I don't remember it momentarily. But that one part book is the presentation of the Catholic faith that I think adults who have been fully uh, initiated into the Catholic faith can read together, can build discussion and faith sharing groups off of it. Can It actually includes within it Bible study. It includes within it study of the catechism. And I have just remembered the subtitle, by the way. So the one part book is called Turn to the Lord, An Invitation to Lifelong Discipleship, whereas the two part book is called Forming Disciples for Lifelong Conversion. So, yeah. So um, I, let's say I'm interested uh, as a personal level, or let's say I'm interested as a parish level. I want to know more about this. Of course, I'm going to get the book. I'm going to read it. But is there a way uh, for me to get maybe some some very specific advice on the program, how it operates, maybe ask a question or two? What does that look like? Well, I'm trying to do a few things on that because I want to really work with these leaders, potential leaders with parishes and dioceses. So one thing I'm doing is I'm hosting a just an open information meeting, an information setting for anybody who'd like to learn more about this. That one, at least the first one, I might do a second one, but the first one is on March 3rd. Um, I'm going to do it at 7 p.m. Eastern and over Zoom. So I already have a good number of people who are coming from all over the country um, who will join us in that meeting. And I'll basically give some guidance on what this approach is and then um, talk about not just the idea of it, but also the practicality of it, and then respond to questions that people might have. So that's March 3rd at 7 p.m. on Zoom. Uh, it's open to anyone. It's free, uh, but registration's required. And then I've also tried to put together what I'm calling uh, little lessons. So there are little five to six minute video, um, me basically presenting in brief some of the content that's in this book. So I've done uh, three of them so far. The first one is what happens at baptism. And I talk about the separation from sin and the immersion into God's life. One of them is what happens in the conversion of St. Paul, which really sets up a lot of the framework for the type of formation that we're doing. And then a, a third one uh, bears the title with the question, what does it mean to be a source of goodness? So I'm putting those on a on my YouTube channel. They're called Little Lessons from Turn to the Lord. That's a way, I think, to get just a little feel of that. And you can find all of his various projects uh, by going to his website, leonardjdelorenzo.com. Dr. DeLorenzo is the Director of Undergraduate Studies in the McGrath Institute for Church Life, one of my favorite places out of the University of Notre Dame. Uh, he also is the Director of Notre Dame Vision and holds a teaching appointment in the Department of Theology there. Dr. DeLorenzo, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. 
if you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or maybe share it with someone on social media, or maybe send an email to the DRE or to your priest at your parish to let them know about this program and about the upcoming webinar. Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, you can find previous episodes with Dr. DeLorenzo as well by clicking the three bars on the top left-hand corner of the page. Out will pop a menu. You can scroll down to his name, find it, and find all of the amazing content that he has provided. And if you love that content, well, guess what? There's even more. Uh, there's more to this conversation that we weren't able to air here, but each and every week we record extra content, extra goodies uh, for those who support the show through Patreon. we got a fantastic Patreon support community who helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we like to give them a little bit extra. You can go and learn more by there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says Patreon hyphen support the show. Click that link to learn more about that community and about how to get access to that content. Now, Let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and the doctors of the church, biblical commentaries, and so much more. Learn more at Verbum.com. It's only appropriate that our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, this is the famous Shema. This is the place where God gives the children of Israel the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And here God is giving his people the instructions that everywhere you look, Make sure that you see this command, this, this command that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. Everything that you do, everything that's a part of who you are, ought to be engaged in love of God. And not only that, but make sure your children know it too. Uh, have it everywhere they look, on the doorposts, uh, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you're walking by the way, everywhere you could possibly be, center your life on this. And it's for us as well, because Jesus takes this same passage and he brings it into their current understanding there in the first century. As he says, uh, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Is that concept of mind sprung in from the Hellenist areas and in Greece into uh, the, the understanding of the human person in first century Israel and Palestine? Uh, then Jesus says, yes, that part too, this new understanding of who you are, even that part, love the Lord with all of that as well. And so while you're doing that, also go and love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
the second greatest commandment. And so here we have the encouragement and the, the commandment of God to really echo and repeat these, these truths, to not let ourselves even focus on something else, that, that everywhere we look, we see this commandment. And this echoing is catechesis. That's where we get the word catechesis from, is it's related to, to echo, to repeat, to have this thing constantly there in front of us, bombarding us. And we do this all the time with our kids as it is. Uh, I, I recall uh, numerous stories in my childhood where every time we would go by the place where my parents got engaged, they would stop and point at the bench and say, right there, that was the place that it happened. And they would recount that story to the point that now they don't have to be anywhere nearby. I can still recall that story, this kind of family lore that continues throughout our whole life. God is instructing us, take that family lore and make it about this command that I give to you today. Everywhere you look, be reminded that God is with you and that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the power of family rosaries, of family mealtimes and prayers, of bedtime rituals, of the, the feasts and fasts that occur throughout the year, is that everywhere they look, there's another feast, there's another uh, a saint to look to, there's another thing of their faith which is there present to them that makes a difference in their lives whether it's the, the actions of Candlemas or whether it's the Easter Vigil or some other big sensory event that they're experiencing, we say, here, your faith is front and center, and it is available to you. Our reading from church uh, history today is actually more of a church document. Uh, I had Verbum open. I, I looked at, okay, we, we've got this reading from Scripture uh, what documents of the church reference this verse uh, and used that to kind of guide our discussion. And so the one that got brought up today is the General Directory for Catechesis. We'll start reading around paragraph 220, and we'll read a selection from, uh, from the paragraphs that follow. Catechesis is a responsibility of the entire Christian community. Christian initiation, indeed, should not be the work of catechists and priests alone, but of the whole community of the faithful. Continuing education and the faith is a question which concerns the whole community. Catechesis, therefore, is an educational activity which arises from the particular responsibility of every member of the community in a rich context of relationships, so that catechumens and those being catechized are actively incorporated into the life of the community. The Christian community follows the development of catechetical processes for children, young people, and adults as a duty that involves and binds it directly. Again, at the end of the catechetical process, it is the Christian community that welcomes the catechized in a fraternal environment in which they will be able to live in the fullest way what they have learned. The Christian community not only gives much to those who are being catechized, but also receives much from them. New converts, especially adolescents and adults, in adhering to Jesus Christ, bring to the community which receives them new religious and human wealth. Thus, 
the community grows and develops. Catechesis not only brings to maturity the faith of those being catechized, but also brings the community itself to maturity. Yet while the entire Christian community is responsible for Christian catechesis, and all of its members bear witness to the faith, only some receive the ecclesial mandate to be catechists. Together with a primordial mission which parents have in relation to their children, the Church confers the delicate task of organically transmitting the faith within the community on particular, specifically called members of the people of God. And here it tells us a little bit about priests and a little bit about pastors and bishops. And then we get to this section. The witness of Christian life given by parents in the family comes to the children with tenderness and parental respect. Children thus perceive and joyously live the closeness of God and of Jesus made manifest by their parents in such a way that this first Christian experience frequently leaves decisive traces which last throughout life. This childhood religious awakening which takes place in the family is irreplaceable. It is consolidated when, on the occasion of certain family events and festivities, care is taken to explain in the home the Christian or religious context of these events. It is deepened all the more when parents comment on the more methodical catechesis which their children later receive in the Christian community and help them to appropriate it. Indeed, family catechesis precedes, accompanies, and enriches all forms of catechesis. Parents receive in the sacrament of matrimony the grace and the ministry of the Christian education of their children, to whom they transmit and bear witness to human and religious values. This educational activity, which is both human and religious, is a true ministry through which the gospel is transmitted and radiated so that family life is transformed into a journey of faith and the school of Christian life. As the children grow, exchange of faith becomes mutual and a catechetical dialogue of this sort each individual both receives and gives. It is for this reason that the Christian community must give very special attention to parents. By means of personal contact, meetings, courses, and also adult catechesis directed toward parents, the Christian community must help them assume their responsibility, which is particularly delicate today, of educating their children in the faith. That reading comes from the 1997 edition of the General Directory for Catechesis that was put out by the Congregation for Clergy at the Vatican. And here we see, again repeated for us, that catechesis is the job of the whole Christian community, and in a particular way for parents. That doesn't always mean that the parents are the one doing the classes, but as our children are going to those classes— as the the small group model affords for, we are engaging our children in conversation about those tenets of the faith that they're learning, that we're allowing them to stretch those muscles and to ask questions and even to deconstruct a little bit as we help them then rebuild their own understanding of a faith in a deep and abiding way. But that's done in a place of community and safety and not just kind of peeled off on our own or, or stuck just with a book, that we as the whole community and body of Christ build up the body 
through the means of catechesis, through the means of effective witness and living the faith. So if those inspiring words from the General Directory for Catechesis have you all worked up, well, get the book, Turn to the Lord, Forming Disciples for Lifelong Conversion, available on Liturgical Press. Go talk to your pastor and see about reinstituting this new old way of preparing our children for their sacraments. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.